You are listening to Season 3 of the Stories of Creative Leadership, a series about what it really takes to lead for innovation and creativity. The Stories of Creative Leadership showcases creative leaders who will inspire you to become better stewards of your most important asset, employee creativity. And now, here are your hosts, Todd Schnick and Tony Vengrove. All right, welcome back to Season 3 of the Stories of Creative Leadership. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my friend and colleague, Tony Vengrove. Welcome back, my friend. Hey, Todd, it's good to hear your voice. It's great to be back here for Season 3. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to it. Uh, we get to share a very, very cool conversation today. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But I guess what we ought to do first, Tony, uh, is remind this audience what this show is all about. Why are we sharing these conversations? What is creative leadership? Well, Todd, let's start with what creative leadership means to me. My favorite definition of creative leadership comes from the great uh, late Warren Bennis, who said, there's two ways of being creative. You can either uh, you can sing or dance, or one can create the conditions for singers and dancers to flourish. And for me, creative leadership means you're leading to let your team, your organization flourish creatively. So the stories of creative leadership, what we're trying to do here, our mission is to help inspire people on the front lines of innovation, on the front lines of creativity that have good days and bad days, learn how to be better creative leaders by listening to the wisdom and the collective knowledge of great creative leaders all over the world. So that's why we're here, Todd. We're here to learn from the best. Well, and amen for that. Thank you for sharing that. And I have missed this show, Tony, I must admit to you. I, I am still friends and connected with a lot of the guests we had in season two. They're wonderful people. And honestly, you've kicked off season three with an amazing gentleman. Let's set up today's conversation. We had an amazing chat with Mr. William Childs. So Tony, why did you invite Bill to be on the show today? I've only known Bill for, I guess, about a year now, Todd. And I, I met him through my father, actually. He lives in the Lehigh Valley area in Pennsylvania, where my father lives. And my father was a creative director back in the day himself. And Bill uh, pens an article for the Morning Call, a local newspaper, and he often talks about creativity and he highlights uh, great businesses in the area. And my father appreciated his writing so much that he reached out to him. And so the two of them connected. And then Bill became such a fan of my dad, he wanted to write an article about my father. So uh, lo and behold, he reached out to me to try to find more people that my father used to work with and get a quote from me, et cetera, et cetera. And then we hit it off. And I quickly discovered why my father liked him so much. He's just a classic, very talented, creative person who's a great art director, a great writer. And he and I are like two peas in a pod when it comes to creative leadership. He really gets it. He uh, began his career working uh, for an outdoor ad uh, advertising company called Adams, and he did some great award-winning work there. He's worked for an agency called Forge Mark Communications. He was a creative director for The Morning Call, which I just mentioned, and he uh, was most recently the director of marketing communication for Trifecta Technologies. And he's now out on his own consulting while he looks for his next great gig. But I think uh, you're going to just, you know, as you heard from our conversation, he's just full of insight. Yeah, no, it, w it was truly a great conversation. I, you know, I'm warning here to the audience, uh, if you're listening to this, uh, get a notepad 
because uh, Bill shares so many nuggets of amazing, mind-blowing, impactful nuggets of information that will, I really do think will make you rethink how you approach creativity and innovation within your organization. And certainly if you're in management, how to lead, as Tony was saying at the top of the show there. So gosh, I guess, Tony, what we should do is share a couple of our favorite bits from the conversation. Now, I guess the first one that I liked was the, the bold discussion we had that Bill led about the pressure that we put our creatives under and how that just stifles creativity. I mean, it was, we talked about that for quite some time in the conversation, so impactful and frankly, so common in organizations. It is. And I'm of the opinion that at certain times, time can be a, an actual helpful constraint, but you could just, you can't go to that well all the time. You can't pressure your creatives to deliver in 24 hours all the time. Most often you need them to have the time they need to explore and to learn and kind of uh, really fill their brain with new insight, which is why I loved uh, one of his quotes. He said, he said, creativity isn't just about output, it's about input. And how important it is to just to get out of the office, feed your brain, research, really dive into something and go deep so you can fill your brain with new information so it can make novel connections. Yeah, that was, uh, I had never thought of creativity in that context before. That, that, that did change how I think about uh, creativity and innovation and, and certainly driving it and leading it within an organization. The other thing he talked about, now, no surprise to most people listening, there was conversation about not being afraid of failure and encouraging your team to try things and maybe not succeed. He shared a definition of what he calls failure that I thought was really intriguing. I, I hadn't heard this or thought of it like this before, but it said, don't call it failure, call it an unintended outcome. That changed the whole dynamic around that. Yeah, I thought that was really uh, kind of a positive spin on failure. I, I think there's been this kind of romance around uh, the positive aspects of failure, which I think, I don't know how if you agree, it feels at times it's a little out of hand. Right. But really, really that, that uh, phrase on, on unintended outcome is great because it just, I think it's more inviting to kind of figure out, well, why did this happen? Let's dive into why this unexpected failure consequence or outcome actually happened. You know, and I think that came out of the story he was telling about his favorite creative leader, who um, just sounded like a wonderful, uh, amazing yeah, no uh, person. And and he he briefed the, this uh, Bill's team uh, a long time ago on priorities and what he really envisioned for his group to accomplish. And there was a list of ten things. The number ten on that list was making money. And so I thought that was really powerful because it kind of diffused all that corporate pressure that most of us have day in and day out to hit our financial targets, which obviously is important. But this leader was confident enough to say, listen, if we do all nine of these things, the money's going to be there when we need it. Well, it goes back to what I let off this uh, discussion on the highlights on this, on putting pressure on ourselves. And that's that certainly is a big way how we do it. You know, further discussion around this idea of encouraging not necessarily encouraging failure, but not being afraid of it and not being not penalizing people for failing. It's this idea of, of encouraging bad ideas. He had a line that I really, really liked. I wrote it down. In fact, I think we talked about it or I brought it up in the con in the course of the conversation. But he had a quote that said something like, good ideas often come on the way back from a bad one. And that's so true. It is. And that's why not having quick judgment uh, around the conversations when there's uh, unintended outcomes 
is key because as soon as you judge uh, something associated with a bad idea or a bad experience, people are going to kind of clench up and tighten up and not be so vocal. And so uh, Bill went on in that part of the conversation to explain how important it is to not have judgment so you can learn and understand and keep the brainstorming going around the, the bad ideas or the failures so you can kind of figure out, well, what's the path out of the forest? Well, the really great thing about the conversation, Tony, as you said, uh, how do we can't judge. And he gave us a really intriguing strategy to avoid judging or certainly saying something that appears to be judging. And, and he brought in some, some, a key lesson from improv, you know, the, the, the comedy strat, you know, the, you know, you're all familiar with improv and, and comedy. And mm-hmm. there's a very common tactic with improv that's called yes and. And the deal is when one of your improv uh, acts puts out a statement, you don't reject it. You have to accept it and build from there. And so you say yes and, and then you add to the story. Well, that approach applies to, this discussion we're having around rejecting bad ideas, right? So if someone puts out an idea that maybe doesn't work or it needs, needs improvement or whatever, you don't, you don't reject it and, and label it a failure. You say yes, and you build on it from there and take it from there. I, I thought that was an intriguing way to look at this and rethink how, and that certainly goes to removing that judgment away from this. Yes, and... <laughs> <laughs> Without a doubt. I, I think for me, the insight around all that is the building that takes place. And, and yes, and just invites more creativity and building up an idea, which for me all leads, well, I should say leads to, it requires an element of faith. You have to trust in the other people. You have to have faith that everybody's trying to make things better together. And even though you don't know where that's all going to go, you have faith in each other that if you work the process and you give it time, you're patient, you're going to end up with something pretty extraordinary on the other side. Yeah, no, faith is a great way to think about that, no doubt about it. The final comment I'll make before we get to the conversation, my one of my favorite takeaways was this discussion around the importance of authenticity. Now, I'm not going to share before we get to the interview the context with which he talked about it because it actually was surprising to me when he answered that question with authenticity. I was not prepared for that. But there's no doubt about it when you're talking about creative leadership. And fostering an environment, enabling your people to flourish, to use your definition, you have to be authentic. Without a doubt. I think, you know, in a creative situation, what's the most important thing? It's the idea, right? So dropping the ego and just being your authentic self so that there's none of this other kind of emotional baggage surrounding the idea often is the best climate you can create for that idea because you're 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 just focusing you're you're being present and mindful with the idea and the people are secondary you know the people are only there to kind of use their brains to build the idea and try to create some magic around it well we talked a lot about ego uh, in this conversation and how an ego driven leader is someone who's obviously applying that pressure that we talked about at the top of this of this segment and and i've heard you say something once that i thought was interesting but but Authenticity is the antidote to ego, yeah? Yeah, that's how I feel about it. And as I people will hear, I always joke that ego should be spelled with uh, two E's so it becomes a four-letter word. <laughs> but clearly, Bill is a creative without a huge ego that really cares. He cares about the people that work for him. He cares about ideas, and I think people are going to love hearing him. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Truly a great conversation with Bill Child. So. Without further ado, let's get right to it. Here is our conversation with Bill Childs right after this break. We'll be right back. 
The Stories of Creative Leadership is brought to you by Miles Finch Innovation, a consulting firm that helps clients navigate the messy territory of corporate innovation. They can help develop a better game plan for your company's innovation agenda. Whether it's strategic planning, idea facilitation, or training for creative leadership, Miles Finch Innovation is your go-to partner for getting unstuck and identifying creative solutions to your toughest challenges. Learn more about how they can help you at milesfinchinnovation.com. In a pinch, call the Finch. Miles Finch Innovation. All right, we are back and we are so, so pleased to welcome William Child to the show. Bill, so glad to have you. Glad to be here, guys. Well, Bill, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on and talk creative leadership with you. One of the things I wanted to kick off right away is, you know, you have a great diverse background. You've been a creative in ad agencies. You've worked for a newspaper. You've worked in uh, for an IT company. What are some of the similarities and differences of being a creative across different business sectors? Well, I think in all those instances, all those businesses need ideas. And Creative people really are are kind of the lifeblood that kind of drives those that engine when it comes to um, new thought. And I think now anymore, you know, when you have um, ideas being the currency of the new economy, you know, you better have people on your staff that know how to think differently or how to be willing to fail. And when I say that, be willing to come up with something new that might not work. You know, creative people are very, very good at that. They're they're adept at you know risk taking, and you did it. Businesses need it today, and it's all those businesses that I worked at needed that, and I I was able to provide a lot of that service even for people who didn't see themselves as creative or maybe needed a little bit more coaching and and pulling out of their own personalities. But yeah, creative ideas and are really Richard Florida said it in his book Rise of the Creative Class. Ideas are the currency of the new economy, and I believe that 100%. I do too. And you know, part of our mission here on the stories of creative leadership is really to help leaders working in small businesses, large corporations, really lead in such a way so that their employees can, you know, express that creativity and sure. and, and and so forth. And and the reason why I ask that first question is I have a thesis that regardless of big or small, client side, agency side really the principles of being creative and leading for creativity are generally the same. Would you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. Yep. I don't think it makes a difference if you're the process that you're using to develop ideas or how you're the environment that you're setting up in your company for to allow creativity to flourish, I think is is pretty standard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's crack that door open a little bit. So, yeah. you know, everybody's been chasing innovation, chasing creativity. And I think the real missing link for many companies is just the leadership side of all this and what it takes to lead for innovation and creativity. In fact, like the new topic du jour on the blogosphere really seems to be about uh, how businesses need to create a culture of innovation, which is a big thing. You know, you just can't create a culture of innovation overnight. Mm-hmm. Leaders need to really embrace certain values and, and behaviors and demonstrate behaviors to their team in order to create conditions for employees to be creative. So from your perspective, what are some of those values or behaviors that have worked for you or uh, you saw work from other leaders? Sure. I would say this first. I would say I get so bummed out because I think creativity just needs a better PR person 
because you say the word creativity and I can hear the eyes rolling in the backs of people's heads because I think they hear that word and they, they naturally assume, oh, great. Now that all that means is my employees are going to go sit in the beanbag chairs and play foosball or stare lovingly or longingly into the lava lamps. And it's not. So creativity is real. It's the last great competitive advantage that businesses can use to kind of really change um, how they're doing things. And I just think that, that you can set a culture for it to grow. The problem is, is when we ha- you have a leader that is kind of like, well, you know, I put the foosball table in, where's my new revenue? You know, <laughs> it, it doesn't kind of work like that. It really is, it comes down, I think, from the lead- leadership standpoint is authenticity. You have to be an authentic leader. And there's a lot of things that, that can kind of go into that, but you have to be willing to allow your employees to possibly fail. You have to create an environment where it's okay for them to take risks, where they're not going to feel that you're going to the, that their mistake might be stigmatized. And that that doesn't happen overnight. That has to be a sustained effort where you're feeling that from the leader that hey, you know what? This person really does have our back. They really do want to see us get better. And the other things that go into that too are, you know, when someone is willing to risk sharing an idea, the leader doesn't say, "Oh, oh no." You know, no, sorry. I'm sorry. We tried that two months ago. That did not work at all. I mean, you just shut that. You just shut that innovation down hard because not everyone's comfortable sharing their thoughts openly, right? So if you get a person in a in a meeting that's willing to to say something, you got to respect that that they were willing to share that thought, and you have to at least just listen to it, not judge it or smack it down. I've been in meetings already where I've seen it happen, and it's it's like one of the worst things to see where someone will that's maybe shy or a little kind of um, elusive, get the courage to finally say an idea and the person in charge of running the meeting will give 10 reasons why it won't work. Can you just elaborate a little bit more? So somebody shares an idea, they're presenting to you, creative director. It's either not right, maybe it seems a little way, it's shooting out of orbit. What are some things a leader can do in that conversation to kind of make sure the person is heard, make sure the person understands why the idea is not great. How do you send that person off feeling uh, that they they did the right thing in sharing the idea and they're still engaged in trying to shape that idea into something better? Yeah, absolutely. As a creative director, I have always looked at idea generating as something that an idea can come from anywhere and from anyone. So I would never look at someone telling me an idea and look at their job title and say, hey, whoa, you shouldn't be talking about that. You're, a, you're an account executive or you're in, you know, you're in sales or you're in this. I'm just open to anyone's suggestion. I never say to someone why, it's not, why, why an idea is not good because I don't know if it's not good. I have to listen to it, be willing to take it in. And I'll tell you this, sometimes and a lot of times, you will get a good idea on the way back from a bad one. So when I say bad, meaning like something that might sound like ridiculous. So I don't, in it, when I'm in an idea session or a creative session with, with people, there is a no judgment zone. We're not here to judge the ideas. I just want to hear what everyone has to say and their thoughts. And I think you just, if you're open to that and you let them know that you're open to that, you will eventually, they will open up to you and they will start giving you good ideas. That's, that's how I've experienced it. I just, I never, I never tell someone hey, that was a really bad idea yet because no idea is really a bad one because if it spurs something else, then that was the seed of another idea. And I've just seen it too many times 
to know that that that's how it, that's how ideas work. You know, ideas are messy. Creativity is messy, and I think it that trips up a lot of a lot of managers because they can't really track it on their spreadsheets accurately. Sometimes it's just it can get a little messy. You're going to break some eggs. You're going to spill some milk in making that cake, and that trips up a lot of managers and leaders. Well, Bill, you said something there I thought was really profound. You know, the good ideas come when you're coming back from a bad one. I mean, mm-hmm. that how, any advice to management because I. I'm not sure where the bigger problem lies in, in the person who's afraid to share an idea or the manager who's shutting them down. Any advice you can share on how best to work through that, that unfortunately is still a very common problem? Yeah, I think both are the big problems. I think that if a leader is going to set a culture of, of creativity and, and innovation and ideas, that the employees have to feel that that's genuine, okay? You can't just say, hey, we're all being creative now. Two weeks, I want to see the spreadsheet that shows that we've uh, increased revenue. That doesn't work. There has to be real tangible results where that leader is willing to, you know, this is an old adage, but I think it works, praise in public, reprimand in private kind of thing. So you have to be willing to kind of share uh, positive feedback openly. And I think as a leader, you have to be willing to see your people succeed. You have to have a strong desire to help other people succeed. And to just realize that as the leader of the company, the successes are your teams and the failures are yours. And people pick up on that. People know when they're, when they have an authentic leader in their presence, you know, and if people can feel, you know, it might not happen in the first meeting, you know, that you have the first brainstorm session or a first idea session, not everyone might feel comfortable sharing. But ultimately, I think if they can consistently see that this person is making an effort, you'll pull it out of them. You know, and that's what that's the one thing too that creative people can help because they're just usually they're they're very passionate, they're very um they have big personalities, they're not afraid to fail, you know, they're not afraid to look like a fool. They'll share an idea that, you know, they know this might make people laugh or might sound ridiculous, but you know what? I'm gonna say it. So I think that that's what starts to happen, can start to happen in the culture, is that the people who are maybe a little bit more reluctant to share will start to see that, hey, it really is okay to share an idea and no one's going to laugh at me or make fun of me or my boss isn't going to call me in and, and kind of say, what was that all about? Like, don't ever say that again. You see what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's like leading by example. Absolutely. It's like, so you yeah. have extensive experience, Bill. And, and so, I mean, do you have a leader, a story from all the people you've worked with and collaborated with over the years? Uh, do you have a leader who truly understood what creative leadership's all about? What did they do to foster this environment that enabled creative ideas to to really flourish. I have a great story for this. Back in late 1999, I went to work at Adams Outdoor Advertising, an outdoor company here in Allentown. I was coming out of the newspaper world, black and white. You know, I was still, you know, T-squares and markers recently. You know, we, we had just gotten the computers. Uh, that's, how, that's how long ago this was. And I sat down and the, the general manager, before he hired me, he said, I want to tell you something that I'm, I'm going to be doing when you come on board. And he said, I'm tired of selling signs on the side of the road. And I said, okay. He said, we're going to sell outdoor now. We're going to sell out of home and we're going to do it through good design. I said, okay, I like that. And he said, here's what's going to happen. The two artists, one of which you are going to be, you're going to have final say what goes on the road. I said, okay. He said, I'm going to create a culture here where we're going to run, you're going to run weekly creative sessions with the account execs. I said, okay. He said, we're going to care about what goes up on the road. So if we have to push back to an agency that isn't kind of like playing in the, the, the realm that we kind of, you know, too many words or, you know, the design not good, we're going to push back. I don't care if we lose the business. We're pushing back. 
I said, okay. He said, I think what's going to happen is the market's going to look better. It's going to take about three to six months. The clients that are using outdoor are going to get better results because the boards are going to look better. They're going to continue to do outdoor. Businesses that had never done outdoor are going to want to get in on the game. He said, you guys are going to have fun because you're going to be doing top level stuff, the, the kind of stuff that like, you know, that you want to be doing that makes, you know, uh, drives revenue and, and clients love and will look good and will work. He said the account reps, because of the creative sessions, are going to be able to speak intelligently about what makes good design, why you don't put a website and a phone number together on a billboard, why fonts have certain characteristics and feelings and how to, to kind of work that. And then he said, he got down about, I don't know, that's maybe like number nine or 10. And he got down to the two last ones. And he said, number nine is, I think we're going to win a lot of awards. And number 10 is, I think the company's going to make more money. And I love the fact that the money part was the last thing because he knew that all those other things above that had to take place in order to drive the revenue. And it took about three to six months. He held his word. He kept his word about allowing the artist to have final say of what went up on the road. Because I had thought, you know, that's a nice kind of like idea. But when a contract that's going to come in, say, for $50,000 that I'm rejecting because, you know, they, I don't like their, the way the design looks, I thought that'll be a short-lived conversation. And it turns out he held true to that. There were several times where we kicked something back and it didn't come back up. No one came up and said, you know, guys, let's just let this one go. And I was like, wow, this guy's the real deal. And we did the weekly creative sessions. The reps were actually able to speak more intelligently in front of clients about what makes good design. And it was, it was phenomenal. It was a phenomenal two years. We drove new revenue. We were able to attract better employees because we had a clear-cut mission of what we were trying to do. That was coming from the general manager. And the atmosphere was one of collaboration. Everyone could come up with ideas. Everyone could share a thought. And we just all got in, we bought into the mission. It was a simple mission. He stated how we were going to do it. He defined the goals and he held true to his word. And it worked. It absolutely worked. That's a fantastic story. You know, Bill, can you also share a little bit, when we spoke a couple of weeks ago, you shared a story about how this uh, leader, you went to him with a question and he basically empowered you to go back and try to figure it out on your own. Yes, I love this about about what he did. Mr. John Hayes, I went in one day before, right after I had, had gotten the job and I said, John, I said, I, I know you you want me to do these creative sessions. I got to be honest with you. I don't know what happens in a creative session. Now, you got to remember, this is, this is 1999. So this is a long time ago. And he said, okay. He said, well, that's for you to figure out. And I said, <laughs> okay. I, and he <laughs> said, well, I will tell you this. What I want the outcome to be is that I want the account executives to have a better understanding of what you guys go through in design. Why a certain, why you pick a certain font, why, you know, photos and, and how photos and fonts work together. I don't want you turning them into designers. I just want them to be able to speak intelligently when they are in front of clients. I said, okay, I get that. I got it. And because he gave me ownership of that, I was able to fulfill that mission for him, but he didn't tell me how he, what exactly he wanted done in the creative sessions. So it was wide open. So I, I tried all kinds of stuff and it was, it was wonderful. And he also said to the account executives, he said, listen, don't be coming to me saying you have an appointment with a big client on Tuesdays at 830. It's not going to fly. You're in those creative sessions. I want you in there every week. And he would be in there as well. And he'd sit in the back 
and he would never try to take over the conversation. And it would just be it would when when someone would ask him a question, he would always have a thought that no one else had considered. And it would just be this like, oh, man, that's amazing. So he didn't try to take over. He was very comfortable in allowing the people that he put in those positions to do what they were hired to do. The man had zero ego, which is also key in, in a lot of this kind of stuff. I mean, zero ego. And all he was about was making sure that whatever we were going to do for a client was going to be the best that it could possibly be. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's you know, Todd, there was a part that Bill just spoke about that reminded me about our conversation when we did season two with Lieutenant Colonel Rafael Hernandez. We talked about a concept in the military called commander's intent, Bill. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar around the, the visioning that you just described. And uh, basically, commander's intent is a leader. What we were talking about is in the military setting, we were trying to explore, well, how do you create and improvise in a structure where there's very clear rules and objectives. And so they explained, uh, he, Raphael explained commander's intent, and it's basically the leader, leader does exactly what you described. He sets like a vision. This is what success uh, looks yep. like. This is the, the objective I'm trying to achieve. And then they get out of the way. Exactly. And then the person is empowered to go figure out how to how to get there. Well, you think about an environment that is so strict with chain of command. There's no way that can be a conducive, a creative environment. But he explained how that that's possible. Bill, I was thinking back to that list of that story you told, and and yeah. if you if you lead off with the money thing, all right, we have got to make revenue for this organization. <laughs> that changes the whole dynamic instantly, right? I mean, because this, then that puts on the pressure. Then you're afraid of failing, and that, so I just that's so far that's the most important lesson to me in this whole conversation is is if you do those other 10 things first boom then then the revenue follows great stuff you know on that idea of things that we do to stifle creativity i mean i imagine uh, with all your again with all your extensive experience you have an example or two of someone who did it wrong that you can share here to help someone else Sure, absolutely. Um, I think things that stifle creativity are, you know, we have done a wonderful job in corporate America of stigmatizing mistakes. Okay. Nobody wants to make a mistake. It's like, oh my God, you know, it's just such a terrible thing. And in reality, if you're not failing from time to time, you're not going to succeed because if you're failing, it means you're trying new things. You're willing to try something new. Okay. So I think if you can allow for a culture where people are allowed to fail responsibly and have, I don't even like the word failure. I prefer the, the term unintended outcome. Like I had an unintended outcome. Doesn't that sound better than like, oh, I failed, <laughs> right? Yeah. I grew up thinking that success and failure were opposites. I get into the real world and I learn, oh my God, success and failure are right next to each other. They need each other, okay? So that's one. Um, another one is you really got to let go of the ego. If you're going to lead a team, it's not about you. You're there to serve them. Leadership is servanthood. True leadership, I believe, is servanthood. Serve that team. Do whatever you can to make sure that that team has everything that they need to do the job at a high level. Support them. Get them to support each other. And, you know, a lot of times ego, I think, rears its ugly head. And, you know, when the boss has to feel like they're the ones that has to have, to have all the ideas, you know, it's, it just shuts it down. And don't tell people that their idea won't work. It's a terrible thing. There's a, a column I just wrote on improv for the column that I write for the morning call. And they have this technique in improv theater where when they're working on a scene, they what they do is they, they have this thing. It's called yes and, yes and. So if you say a line, 
you're giving your partner what they call a brick to build the house, right? And in with a yes and, you don't negate what they say. You don't belittle what they say. You take that and you build on it. So you, there's this support network in an improv environment where you're not trying to make the other person look bad or you're not trying to torpedo the other person. You're constantly trying to build on what each other is saying. Imagine if that was used more in corporate America where there was an attitude of like, yes, and. So someone says an idea, tell me why that idea will work as opposed to why it won't. So yeah. that's that's how I would set it up. If I was setting up a an environment like that, I would make sure that when people give ideas, they're think about, give me two reasons why something will work as opposed to why something won't. Because it's so easy to just sneer an idea and, and have it just die. And not only that, but you kill the soul of the person who said it. And you're just stifling creativity. You're, you're not going to be innovative. You're not going to come up with those good ideas. Yeah, I agree with you on the big egos. Um, in fact, I, I like to say, I like to spell ego with two E's so it takes its rightful place with the other four-letter words in the world. Uh, but any advice, listen, the big egos are all around us. They're not going away. So any advice on how to handle uh, the big egos uh, when they're overpowering and taking over the conversation in the in the conference room? You know what? I'm not sure is the right answer. But I'm, I don't know. I struggle with that because it's bad. It's a bad kind of um, situation when you have someone with a big ego because they always have to be right. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. how do you how do you tell somebody that always has to be right, especially if they're in charge? Hey, you know what? Maybe uh, it, it's just it's tough. It's tough to kind of cut through that ego. I think a, a big ego will kill far more ideas than any committee ever will. Well, Bill, couldn't the yes and philosophy work there too? So the ego says we're going to do it this way, and this is my idea. And you say, yeah. I like that. And here's another thought. Does, I mean, what do you think of that? Could that help? I, yeah, I would. Sure. I'd be willing to try it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I just know that in my previous role at, at the, the, the technology company that I work, I ran into a, a big ego. In fact, ego can sometimes manifest as narcissism as well. And, and when you get into that territory, now you're, you know, that's, that's a tough one to kind of cut through. Yeah, I think there's no silver bullet answer. And I think your answer is, uh, is actually the most honest. Uh, answer to that question. For me, and again, this doesn't work every time. Sometimes it, it, it can be helpful. I always go back to the objective. So if uh, a big ego is either killing my idea or somebody else's idea, I go back to the brief, I go back to the objective, and I go, just, just help me understand. Mm. You know, you're saying that, you know, you're saying you, you don't like it, or it's not on strategy, but the brief said this, and this is why we think it's on strategy. Help me understand why it's not on strategy. And and I just try as much as I can to get that person either to say, to dictate why it's not on strategy. Because then you can walk away with a little bit of ammunition and say, okay, how I can play this. I can come back if we can solve that issue and bring it on strategy or whatever. And it, you have a little bit of an opportunity to try to save the idea, but sometimes you just, you can't. Well, you know, Richard, not Richard, Florida, Hugh McLeod wrote a book, a great book on creativity. It's one of my favorites called Ignore Everybody. And one of the things he says in there is ideas have lonely childhoods. Good ideas have lonely childhoods. And sometimes a good idea has to die in order for a great one to live. You know, mm. and, and I just think that, that that's true. And, and you can see sometimes in presenting ideas, you know, when you're presenting an idea to someone that's going to make a decision, I think what you see happen, and he talks about this in his book, is that presenting a good idea, it upsets the power balance in the relationship. 
it's almost as if like all of a sudden now the person presenting the, this idea has the power over the person who's going to make the decision on the idea. And again, it goes back to ego. It goes back to all that kind of stuff. If you have that, you're going to want to take that power back and shut it down and you won't even, you won't even want to consider the idea. So yeah. there's, there's a lot of like, like psychology and, and, and that goes into this a lot of times with presenting ideas that, that just, it's, you know, it's not going away. It's just, it is what it is, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit, let's shift gears and talk a little bit about creative process and work conditions. So you've been a creative for your whole career. So to help leaders out there, whether they're on the agency side, but especially like on the corporate side, that's trying to lead for innovation in, in their organization. What does somebody like you need in order to do your job effectively? So what can a creative leader kind of do more of so that a person like you can just go get to work and, and deliver great ideas? I think it comes down to stating the mission, stating what the mission is. You know, why are we doing this? What are we trying to solve? And then having a, a willingness on the leader's part to kind of get out of the way, let it happen, get the, the best people in the room, state the challenge, and then say, look, I'm going to be here if you need me. I'm not going to let you fall. I'll be your net. Bring me in if you want. If not, great. Solve it. Let me know how I can help. That's really it. I mean, that sounds simple, but mm -hmm. not a lot of people are, are comfortable uh, kind of doing that. They want to kind of micromanage the process. That's been my experience. I mean, I have a very simple creative process. It's very simple. I will gather all my information as much as I can. It might take a week, two weeks, whatever. I'm just, um, I'm consuming as much as I can about the challenge that I'm trying to solve. And then I take a page out of Leonardo da Vinci and I let my subconscious go to work on it. So I try to forget about it. I let it incubate. Mm -hmm. And you actually can't stop thinking about something, whether you think you are or not. Your subconscious is always continuing to work on a problem. And then after that, it's time to go to work. So that's, I call it um, information, incubation, perspiration. That's my three-step process. And, you know, it's follow it. And if, if the, if nothing happens in number two, maybe you got to go back and kind of back to number one and kind of dig into the, your research again, or kind of like, look at what you're trying to solve, look for the insights back to incubation, and then pull an idea out and say, you know what, this is the one that I think is going to be the one that we need to develop. The problem is, is, you know, you're looking at a bunch of um, ideas. They look like a bunch of sunflower seeds. They don't really look like anything until you take one of them put it in the ground, put it under the, the dirt, water it, let it grow, and then you get your sunflower. Everybody wants to go from the from the seed to the sunflower in like two hours. It doesn't always <laughs> do that. So, yeah. yeah, that's a good segue to uh, the next question I want to ask you. You know, I have this framework that I call the seven C's of creative leadership. And the first one is communication, which outlines the importance of uh, communicating the objective, the mission, and the vision, and so forth, amongst other things. But the second one is curiosity which yeah. gets a little bit to what you just said. And and the challenge with curiosity is, you know, it's so critical for creativity and innovation, but you just, you, you can't force someone to be curious. So as a creative leader, how do you encourage folks to do what you just said? Dig deep, fill your brain, expand your knowledge so you can you make novel connections and find insight and or express an insight in a fresh new way. Well, here's what I would say to that. This was a, uh, a survey that was done. Adobe did a survey. Um, they were looking into creativity and they, they, they asked a bunch of companies and people that work in kind of the creative field and just rank and file kind of workers. And I think this study was done in like 2012. And one of the things that came out of it, which was really kind of shocking to me, is it's one of the findings was that 75% of people said they are under pressure 
to be more creative at work. Now think about that statement. Under pressure, okay? Mm-hmm. You want to find a way to absolutely kill any creativity is put people under pressure. And if 75%, that's, that's a lot. That's pretty much everybody. So to answer what you're talking about with curiosity, when we're kids, we all have it naturally. We all have curiosity, right? We want to know why the sky is blue. Why is the, why is the ocean wet? Why is it, you know, we're all those questions that we, that we have. And I think kids are really kind of the, the key to this because I think if you can look back into your own childhood, I think you can, you can recapture your genius. If you're willing to embrace your wonderment and kind of allow yourself to go there. The problem is, is we all start out like this and then we get our creativity educated out of us as we go through school. And the lucky ones that come through that education that still have their kind of creativity and their wonderment and their curiosity intact, those are your creative directors. Those are your creative people, right? <laughs> the rest, you know, just kind of end up going like, yeah, I used to remember when I was, uh, man, I used to really like playing with those empty refrigerator boxes that my parents got, you know. Think about that. You get that uh, the empty refrigerator box. What does that become when you're a kid, right? Think of all the things. It's a boat. It's a plane. It's a ship. It's a car. It's a multitude of things. And you can have hours of fun playing with an empty refrigerator box. Now, that's right to me. That's the key to curiosity because we've all done that. We've all done it, you know? And where did that go? Did that just kind of, you know, is that is that seen as, again, that goes back to the the PR person for creativity, that just is seen as um, frivolous. Oh, you're going to go be creative now? You see what I mean? So I think we're all naturally curious. It's just a matter of letting people know that it's, we need that. We need you to be more curious. We need you to ask more questions and just stay at it and foster it with people and work with them and, and stay with them. And I think ultimately you can really turn anybody that feels like they're not creative because we're all creative. You know, it's just a matter of how much do you want to let it out? You know, I look at other things. I, I tell people, you know, embrace ambiguity. Look at things that might not connect and try to find a connection, right? Keep your wonderment alive, which I would say is also a great way to live your life. I mean, if you don't, if you, if you've lost your wonderment, what are you doing? You're just going through the daily grind. You need that wonderment. And that's a huge uh, fuel for creativity. Don't be afraid to take risks. Be, be willing to to kind of have an, un, an unintended outcome. And yeah. I would say the last thing, one last, one last point real quick, is creativity is not about output. It's, it's about input. It's the conversations you have. It's the meals you eat. It's the places you travel to. It's all those things that go in to creating and, and allowing you to use it in your work and in your ideas and your thoughts. So it's, yeah, that's how I want to answer that. Yeah, it all ties into what we've been talking about. I mean, this whole idea of putting pressure and being under pressure and being on the gun and trying to drive revenue, you, that drives all the playfulness out of this and what should be a playful. Tony, we talked to previous guests about this idea that we almost need recess, a time for us to mm-hmm. let go and, and not be under pressure and be free. And what, what was it? Google a few years ago it was real popular to talk about the idea that they said you have to spend a certain amount of time playing around with silly ideas. And yeah, nine times out of 10, it was going to yield nothing. But one time out of 10, it would be something magical might pop, you know? So it's this whole idea, the pressure we put on ourselves stifles all of this. I, I just, that, that's, that's so profound. So gosh, we're nearing the end here, Bill. I guess uh, one of the more important questions we can ask here. I mean, if someone listens to one part of this conversation, what's the one thing 
the one thing that you would recommend a leader do very differently starting right now to become a better creative leader? I thought about this a lot, and I'm, and I'm going to say that if you're leading a company and you're leading a team or you're in charge of, of a business and you're, you know, it's your company and you're leading it, there are probably things that, that you have inherently as an entrepreneur that you started the business or, or you, you were hired into the business, whatever you, you might have there. I think a lot of those traits are in those people. They just have to be willing to let them out. They got to be willing to let them out and roam. And I think authenticity, it, to me, it just, it, it keeps coming back to authenticity. If you're a leader and you're asked a question by an employee and you don't know the answer, tell them, I don't know the answer, but you know what? I'm going to find it out and I'll get back to you. Don't try to try to fumble your way through it or try to negate what they're saying or, or turn them in another direction. I cannot overstate the authenticity factor. I'll give you an example. I used to do, and I still do a lot of speaking at colleges and universities on creativity and marketing. And anytime I've gone into a classroom to speak to someone, I've never gone into those classes and tried to project an image that like, you know, here I am coming from down from the mountain to share my knowledge with you and my, you know, everything that I've learned. I've always been honest with the people, with my audiences. I've never tried to um, be anything other than who I am. And nine times out of 10, I would get at the end of that talk and people would line up and they would just want to say, thank you for coming in and not pretending to be better than us. Thank you for coming in and just being real with us. Thank you for coming in and sharing your thoughts so openly. So that's the one I got to say, you know, and authenticity. It's one of those things you can't fake, right? It's, it's not a thing you can fake. You, you kind of either have it or you don't. And I liken it to um, the movie Jerry Maguire. If you've ever seen that movie, mm -hmm. the very end when uh, Tom Cruise's character and uh, Cuba Gooding's character share that hug underneath the, the, um, where when uh, Cuba Gooding gets the, uh, the the extension on his contract, and it's you know they've been through through so much at that point, and it's real and it's genuine, and they they really do care about each other at this point. And then you look over, and the the other guy Bob Sugar's standing over there, watching this, and um, the 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 quarterback that he's with, he goes, "Man, how comes you never hug me like that?" And then Sugar tries to give him the awkward hug, you know, <laughs> awkward. And I just think to me that that's. It's a beautiful example of authenticity and, and true genuineness of leadership. That's it. All right. Well, Bill, I hate to say it. Uh, this has been a scintillating conversation, but we are closing in on time. Before I let you go, should anyone need to contact you, ask questions on any of this, and learn more about your work, where do they go? Well, I would say if they want to reach out through email, they could reach me at wpchilds1 at rcn.com, or they can follow me on Twitter at WP Childs, or you can uh, check out my website at billchilds.com. I have all my columns up there. I have my work up there and, um, you know, they could uh, check me out. Well, all right, Bill. Thanks uh, so much for spending some time with us. Uh, it's been a pleasure getting to know you over the last uh, year, and I have a lot of respect for how you approach creativity and creative leadership. And I really wanted to thank you for uh, coming on the show. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you guys very much. All right. Well, that wraps this conversation. On behalf of Tony Vengrove and myself, thank you for listening to this conversation with William Childs. Thank you for listening to the stories of creative leadership, the show about leading for innovation and creativity. Today's show was made possible by Miles Finch Innovation, helping organizations navigate the messy territory of corporate innovation. 
To learn more about the show and our work, you may visit milesfinchinnovation.com. You can also find the show on iTunes and on your favorite podcast app. Thank you again for your attention, and we'll see you next time. 